Hello, welcome to Asked by Ayana, a podcast hosted by me, Ayana Leish. If you're new here, this is a podcast where I talk to people about their dream jobs and how that's evolved over time, their career journeys overall, and just where life has taken them. Today, we are joined by Nicole Modic, who was someone that I've only known via Instagram for a few months, but I feel like I've known her forever. She is just so warm and so open, and her story is such an interesting one, and I think unlike any really that um, that have been shared here. So I hope that you find it insightful as always, and I think that you really will, and let's jump in. Hello, it's Ayana Lage. This is Asked by Ayana. And today I'm joined by Nicole Modic, who is the founder of Kale Junkie, which is a super popular food blog. But she has such a cool story to like how she got to, uh, to where she is and to uh, being a full time blogger. So, yeah, I. I knew that I had to have her on once I decided to do this podcast. So Nicole, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. And as you know, I've been a longtime fan of yours and I love your content too. So it's truly, truly an honor to be a guest on your podcast because I just feel you bring such a realness into the space that is so needed. So my heart just connected with yours when I found your account. Well, thank you. And I appreciate that so much. And I'm so, so excited for our talk today because I think it'll be really, really illuminating. Let's start by you telling me more about yourself. Like I know that I kind of covered (laughs) your name and what you do, but, you know, tell me more about who you are. Yeah. So I uh, live in the San Francisco Bay Area with my husband and two boys. I have two boys. One is six and one is four. So I'm in the thick of things with mom life right now. Um, But also at the same time, juggling my career, which is currently food blogger, recipe developer. I have a cookbook in the works that I'm working on as well at the same time. So as if life is not chaotic enough, I've got that layer in it too. But, you know, my background is actually in law. And so I practiced law for about six and a half years as an employment defense litigation attorney. I'm working at some of the best law firms in the country, but I was really, really unfulfilled. So yeah, and I can can totally get into that whenever you would like. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that is one of the reasons. I mean, obviously, like your like what you do now is so cool. And like, I love seeing all of your recipes. But knowing more about your backstory, I just feel like it's so interesting. I've talked to a lot of people about walking away from jobs mm-hmm. to pursue their dreams, but none as prestigious or like, you know, maybe like admired as like walking away from law. So maybe tell me like how you got to practicing law and then like what made you realize you wanted to step away? So I come from a very conservative Armenian household. My dad is an immigrant to this country. And one of the things that, you know, after he came to this country, he was really hardworking, built his business. And and as Armenian people, we're a very prideful culture. And it's also uh, where parents really want their children to succeed but the success for Armenian families is often defined in these prestigious careers, like being a doctor or being a lawyer. Um, and I'm the firstborn daughter. There was a lot of pressure on me growing up in this household where, you know, academics were everything. 
And I don't blame my parents to this day because I think like they didn't really know any better at times. They just wanted their daughter to have opportunities that they didn't have growing up. So when it came down to it, I thought, well, you know, I I like medicine, but I don't really want to see myself being a doctor. I can be a lawyer. That sounds interesting to me. So I kind of went through the motions and I, you know, went to, went to school. I went to law school. I was also married once before during this whole process too. So my husband at the time was very, you know, pushing me into, you know, you'd be a great lawyer, keep doing it. He was also Armenian. I don't know if it's, it it definitely is a cultural thing, but yeah. So I pursued a law and I should rewind a little bit and tell you that ever since I was 15 years old, I had this passion for health and wellness, healthy eating and healthy lifestyle, but I was suffering from an eating disorder. And that stemmed from my mom growing up where she was always on a diet in our household. She was doing the rice diet or the cabbage soup diet or all these like, you know, Atkins or all of these things where I didn't notice it at the time that it would, that, that it would impact me. But I would note what I would notice is that whenever she lost a few pounds or whenever she gained a few pounds, how her mood was always dictated by her outward appearance. So when I was in 10th grade, my parents decided to send me to an Armenian school to be around people of my own culture and to um, hopefully learn how to speak Armenian. And when I got to the school, everybody had been together going to school since kindergarten. So although I was among people of my own culture and ethnicity, I was the odd person out. And as a result of that, being bullied and always being excluded from everything, I would sit in the cafeteria every day by myself, gorging myself on Armenian cafeteria food, lots of kebabs and hummus and all kinds of things like that, but sitting by myself and it was really painful. And one day, a couple months later, I came home from school and my mom looks at me for the first time and said, you know, you've gained some weight. And that was actually the first time being a 10th grader that I, for the first time in my life, looked at my body and thought, is there, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with the way that it looks? From then, I mean, and, and we can fast track this because I know you don't necessarily want to hear all about the eating disorder stuff, but it is interesting. So I went to Weight Watchers. I lost the weight very quickly, but I also became very obsessed with counting calories, counting points. Men started paying attention to me. I started kind of coming into my skin and getting dates all the time and people telling me how great I looked. And that kind of was like this drug for me to keep continuing down this path. So nobody knew. I suffered for so many years in in silence because I was too proud to come out and share my story with people. I was knee deep in the eating disorder. It was before social media was a thing and where I I knew I had a problem but I didn't know where to turn and every time I googled something it was like my only option was going to an outpatient center and I couldn't let anybody know that this was happening to me. So I kind of glossed over all of that. So anyway, through this eating disorder, and it was binge eating and bulimia, somehow I still pushed myself. Um, I graduated from NYU. I went to UCLA Law School. And looking back now, I don't know how I did it, but I, I do. It was a very isolating, really hard time in my life to um, be accomplishing something um, that I should be so proud of. But inside, I was like 
dying, really. Wow. Thank you for sharing. And I so appreciate your honesty. And I think that there's a lot of value in knowing that like someone who's like very outwardly successful is struggling, you know, so much. I have like an Instagram post. It'll probably go up by the time that I release this, but about how like I tend to be most successful when I'm doing like the worst, you know, mentally, because I refocus all of my energy and all of my time into like outward things. Yes. Like 150%. I mean, it's, it's the times in my life that I was going through the hardest things are the times that I would channel that into like studying and my education and my work. And that's how I somehow got by miraculously I'd show up in court. I'd have all of my briefs done. I had a huge caseload, but gosh, I don't even like the only way I was able to sit down and do those things was because I was so hurting inside. And I I was afraid to confront all of the demons. And I channeled that into, into my work. And I notice I still do that sometimes when something feels off in my life now, even even though I'm in a career that I love and I love my social media stuff and I love creating recipes, I do there, you know, there are moments, um, you know, I still do suffer from depression and anxiety. It's part of me. It's part of who I am. Um, I'm open about taking medication for that because it's something that helps me tremendously, but there are still times where like, there are moments of sadness. There are moments of like hard times, even doing what you love. And I notice that I still, dig myself into the work more and more and more when, when reality is I need to take a few steps back and ground myself and get to the root of what the issue really is before I can move forward. Yeah. So let me ask. So I know just from reading your blog, I know some of your journey and like you kind of deciding that you wanted to step away from being a lawyer. Was that something that just kind of happened gradually? Like, how did you kind of have those conversations with the people around you, especially given like the cultural aspect of what you do being very important? Yeah. So I met Greg, my current, my husband, we've been married now almost 10 years. I met him while I was still practicing law and also still in the middle of my eating disorder. He did not know what he did know was that I hated practicing law. And um, I would talk about that all the time. I would just, and he, I think at first he'd be like, you're so successful. And my parents thought the same thing. Like they equated financial success as like, uh, like you should be so grateful and so happy that you're making a paycheck. And that I never lost sight of that. There was never a shortage of gratitude for the financial piece that was coming through. But I always had this deep part of me that was like, there's got to be more to life than just making money to pay my bills and waking up the next day and doing it all over again. So to answer your question, it was kind of twofold. It was one for me, I know I need to get help with this eating disorder and I need to figure out what I want to do with my life, even though all I, I say this now, all I have is a law degree because I, I was I wanted to do something in health and wellness, but I was suffering and I didn't have any of any education behind that. I started going to therapy was the biggest part in twice a week for me. Once a week wasn't enough. I needed to go twice a week. That was really to work on the eating disorder part. And through those conversations we had, my therapist would always talk to me. He's like, but he's like, you're so passionate about health and wellness. We got to figure out, we'll think about a way, or let's keep talking about this, having these ongoing conversations about how you can move away 
from law eventually. So part of it was finding myself. I enrolled in a yoga teacher training, which also really helped me focus less on food as 24 hours a day, which I would obsess over and um, get into my body more, learn how to meditate, learn how to feel feelings of discomfort that come up. So as I started to heal from the eating disorder and come into my skin and accept myself, you know, Greg and I had decided we were going to get, we're going to try to get pregnant. I didn't have my period for over 15 years because of all the, the stuff that I'd done to my body. So I went through some fertility treatments, taking a drug called Clomid, which helped my body induce ovulation. So it wasn't until after it worked, I, I got pregnant after I had my first son. So six years ago where I was home on maternity leave, I started my Instagram account. It wasn't called kale junkie at the time. I feel like it was like called like, it was called some vegan thing. Cause I, I don't know. I was like vegan for like six months as part of my like healing and it did not work for me, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm home on maternity leave with a new baby sleep deprived, you know, that you know how it is spit up everywhere, all the stuff. But I was finding myself in my kitchen more creating all of these recipes. And it like whenever the baby was sleeping, it was like my hobby to go get in the kitchen and make all of these um, foods that I'd forbidden, like I had forbidden for so many years, but I was making them and learning to be mindful about how I ate, how I eat, meaning I would eat whatever, what the amounts that I wanted and until the point of satisfaction. And because I allowed myself to start eating these things, the urges to binge went away and slowly the Instagram account started growing for the food. But really what changed was the day that I, for the first time, posted a picture that I was in like showing my face, which was really scary for me because, you know, all of those years I nitpicked my body and apart so, so much that I was embarrassed to ever show a photo, but I posted a photo of myself and I started talking about my journey and sharing with people that I'd gone through this. And once I shared that, that was the pivotal point where my account went from just being an, a food blog, I think to um, having a real, there's a real person behind it that has some life experiences that I'm not afraid anymore um, to hide behind it. I'm here to share. And that's, that's really the turning point for me where I thought, you know what, I can do what I want, sharing the recipes, continue creating that, but I'm going to bring a little bit more realness to it and show people the struggles too, because what I did learn is that there's thousands and thousands of win, women, men, children, you know, and everything in between that suffer from food issues and may not have an eating disorder, but there's a difference between an eating disorder and a and disordered eating, um, so, or just have some type of weird hangups around food. So I continued practicing law. So I had my baby, I went back to work, but my Instagram kind of was growing at the same time. So it was, it became a part where like I'm practicing law and I'm so miserable and I'm hiding in the bathroom to post pictures of food. And so I was doing dual jobs kind of at the same time. I had a friend on Instagram who one of my first friends on Instagram, she said to me, do you start, do you charge for your posts? And I said, no, she's like, you know, people can make a living off of that. And I said, no, that's not, you know, what are you talking about? That's not true. But so she kind of like 
lit that fire in me to like start asking for payment for your services. And I like, that was hard for me in the beginning because I would, you know, take all of this product that brand brands would send me and create recipes because you, you have to prove yourself. You have to put in the hard work. There's a, there's a lot that goes into it before you can get paid for your work. So being able to, to finding my voice to start asking for payment was the first step in me trying to take this from possibly being just a hobby to actually maybe making something more of it. And I will always say like, when people ask me, you know, it's scary taking a risk and and making big changes like this. I always say like, you know, get really good at what you did before. So for me, I knew that I was a good lawyer. And if I take some time off to pursue this other opportunity, and it doesn't work out, okay, nothing ventured, nothing gained, but I can always go back to that because I have a certain skill set that will always be marketable and valuable. So, you know, whatever it is, if somebody's thinking about a career change, like whatever you did before is no experience and no education is ever in vain. It's ever like, there's always a learning from it that you can apply no matter what, whether the, the venture that you decide to pursue works out or not. So that was kind of my guiding principle when it came to especially telling my parents, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I can't do this anymore. And, you know, it was hard. I mean, my parents didn't tell their friends. They continued to tell their friends that their daughter's a lawyer and practicing lawyer in law firms because they didn't want to tell people. They were too proud to tell people that she's not doing that. And she has a a blog. What's a, like, they didn't know what this was. Right. So, yeah. So lo and behold, after I started charging, I started um, growing and um, I kind of tracked, I had a, you know, just an Excel spreadsheet where I would track my partnerships. And after about six months of, you know, being really diligent about it, I told my husband, I was like, Greg, he'd come home. And I was like, I think I'm going to quit tomorrow. And he's like, super like he's super conservative when it comes to taking risks. He's like, no, you can't do that. What are you going to do? And I'm like, I can't take it anymore. I mean, look, if I had to do it, I would do it. Right. If if push came to shove, like this was my only option, I would do it. But I knew that I had to give this a chance and to go. And in order for me to have the time and, and put more time into creating better quality, higher quality content, I needed more time in my day. And I couldn't do that while I was practicing law full time, while I was raising, you know, had a baby at home in my, you know, non-existent free time to like, to create. Um, so I did. So the next, so he, Greg didn't really ever give me his final blessing to say like, go do it. I support you. I knew that he would no matter what, but he didn't tell me to, to, to quit. So I kind of like took it upon myself. The next day I'd gone to work and, you know, I sat down with my boss at the time and I said, you know, I have this other side, this, this hobby of mine that seems to be taking off. It's a passion of mine as I've healed over the years from what really feels like 15 years of suffering of, you know, kind of doing everything in my life according to what other people wanted for me. And because I did that, I fell into this like eating disorder because I couldn't, it was, food was the only thing I could control. I needed. So I, you know, cause I was just explaining to him and he was super happy. He was like, you know what, go pursue it. Let's see what happens. You always have a home here. If you decide this doesn't 
work out for you. And I never looked back. And, and from that time, it's only been, um, you know, me continuing to put more love and attention into it and me really caring about the community that I was growing and, you know, especially the, the women and the mostly women that were really open with me and being really vulnerable and sharing what they were going through. Um, yeah, it felt very rewarding to me in a space where I know social media can sometimes be really hard for, you know, at least it felt very rewarding for me, um, to, to connect with people and to ultimately, like, I can't help other people with their situations, with their eating disorders, but I can be a sounding board because that's what I needed when I was looking for help and I didn't have that. Yeah. And as I said, I love your story. And I think it's so powerful that you now, you know, create recipes and work with food. Cause I think that there's something that's so needed. I mean, I never had like a diagnosed eating disorder, but I'm sure this is the same for a lot of people and a lot of teenagers. I struggled a lot with food and with calorie counting and with how do I diet. Even, you know, even as an adult, it's like downloading like weight watching apps and like food counting and like, is this food allowed? Is this, is this not? So I am, I'm just curious, you know, given your story and like your, just like the healing that you've experienced, Mm -hmm. how does having your platform now, like how does that play into that? Are you asking like, since I'm around food all the time, does it like trigger me at all? Um, More so I'm just thinking like, how do you navigate like a space where a lot of the content is triggering and like, what are you hoping to create to kind of like combat that? Yeah. So one of the things, so, um, you know, a lot of the people that follow me, my community, they do tend to be like, have labels such as, you know, vegan or paleo or um, whatnot. And so sometimes I will label my recipes that way. But what I truly aim to get at with people is to get to a space of intuitive eating, which I know is a term that's thrown around a lot. But really what it means is that food isn't good or bad. There is no such thing as like, we tend to think about fast food restaurants as bad. And we tend to think about salads as good. But in reality, the way I look at it when it comes to food is like, why do we food were assigned? If you, if you look at things in terms of good and bad, you're kind of giving food, you're assigning morality to it when really it's about nutritious versus less nutritious approaches, meaning that gives people freedom to say, you know what, if my body actually, if you want to go and have McDonald's with your son, because that's a, that's a memory that you want to have together, knowing that it might not make your body feel great. Like you, you know, I, I know that if I indulge in something like that, I'll feel a little lethargic. I'll feel a little uncomfortable after eating that but that doesn't make me a bad person. That doesn't make me a bad person. It doesn't make me less worthy. It doesn't make me less attractive because I decided to eat that. So I try to share recipes that will make people feel good because that's the end goal for me is creating. That's kind of why I put, I make more nutritious spins on some of the things that are less nutritious um, because I want people to Um, be able to have all of those foods that they love and enjoy and then not really have that like that discomfort or that feeling. But hey, you know what, if you want to have the ice cream and you want to have those things, have it like I do it. I, you know, my son and I went to get ice cream yesterday. We didn't care where what it was. We just have that and enjoyed it together. and We move on with our life, you know? Yeah. And, And that's the thing. 
and I, I feel like I rambled a little bit, but that's what I was I was hoping to get at that a lot, I want to say a lot of, but even looking for like nutritious recipes, I think it's just very easy to feel shame. Like when you're talking about food or trying to figure out like, what should I eat? And I used to have a like mentality of like, okay, if I eat this many calories in the morning, like I've only like, I've got to do like, you know, like only do water for the rest of the day. Cause like, that's my calorie budget. And so I think that feeling a little bit like freed from that has been like really liberating. And I'm sure that's the case for yeah. a lot of people. Or like, you know, if you consume a certain amount of calories, you know, by 11, by 11 o'clock, that's it. Like you said, like the rest of the days, but the days, the days ruined, you can't right. have anything else. You can't allow yourself that. And I do think intuitive eating works, meaning you honor your body's cravings. Like you, you give it what it wants. And it's, it's not really, I think there's a misconception that people think that if you allow yourself give yourself permission to eat whatever you want, that it's one big free for all that really all day long, you're going to be eating cookies and cakes and, um, and the McDonald's and feeling terrible. And, and I think that when you're starting that approach, yeah, it's exciting. You might, you might have the cake and the cookies and all of that, but because of the way food makes us feel, I think overall we start to then our bodies naturally start craving the greens and the salads and the veggies and the things that like, we haven't been giving it because we've been allowing ourselves and giving ourselves permission to eat all of the things that we previously restricted. So I think it, it ultimately balances out. And that's where I've been able to find peace with, um, with food. And the other question that comes up that you, that we kind of touched on too, is people ask me now, like you're in the kitchen, you're making cookies a lot. You're making all of these treats. Like, how does that does that impact you in any way? Or like, how does it make you feel since it's around you all the time? And it, and it kind of goes to that point that because in the past, everything was, so, I restricted and didn't allow myself. Now it's, it's it, because it's around all the time, it can sit there and I can have one or two or three if I'm, you know, really wanting something. But whereas before I'd literally, if I had one cookie, my mentality was I ruined everything for the day. I'm going to eat the entire plate of cookies because you know, so that's kind of been great. And, and part of my healing is being okay with being around all the treats all the time and not feeling a need to go overboard. I think that that's really special. And I think that allowing yourself to eat what it is that you want to eat and realizing like, oh, like I'm able to do this. And it's not, you know, this like situation where, as you said, like I'm going through a drive through three times a day, like it balances out it all evens out. Like your body knows <laughs> what you need. I think that that's really cool. And then also just being less obsessed with, you know, all day long, my life was consumed by what I was going to eat at breakfast, what what snack, what lunch, what other snack, what dinner, what wasn't I eating, my social life, every date was planned around the food aspect of it. And I, and I realized I'm like, you know what? Nobody gives a darn what my body looks like. No, right. like I'm missing out on life. And, and the days that I sat home, and didn't go out because I was afraid of eating and drinking. I missed out on conversation, soul connection with people because I was obsessed with my body. And that's really what I'm trying to like do through my platform. I I'm saving a lot of it. I haven't shared a lot about the body stuff um, and intuitive eating much lately. Cause I'm, my book is that's coming out is going to be not just a cookbook. It's also going to be a really deep dive into my story and the intuitive eating um, component. So I'm kind of saving some of that, that for the book, 
But yeah, I do hope that, you know, people find love and support and really just self-love and acceptance for where they're at in their journey, whatever their body looks like, whatever their background is. Yeah. And remind me, when does your book come out? Is it next year? Yeah, spring 2022. I am uh, I am knee deep in it right now. <laughs> <laughs> How exciting though. I can't wait for it. So, you know, switching gears a little bit, I'm always like in awe of people who are creating recipes all the time because like I'm not naturally <laughs> inclined to cooking. But what does that I mean, so I know we talked a lot about like your background and your upbringing, but have you always loved cooking? Did that kind of come over time? And then like, how do you pivot into like, you know, creating something out of thin air? Yeah. So, um, you know, in part of our, in our Armenian culture, I remember growing up with my grandma and she would always be in the kitchen making the traditional Armenian foods. Um, and so I'd watch her and, you know, I'd, I remember pulling up chairs next to her to see what she was doing. Um, and our ethnic foods are very, uh, they're complex recipes. They take a lot of love to sit there and make little balls and fill them with dough and all of these little um, things that are, are traditional dishes. So although I don't really make too many Armenian recipes um, in my own home now, that really started my passion for like creating food. Um, and then as I healed and as I started finding my passion, my therapy Um, Although I would go to therapy, my other therapy was spending time in the kitchen, um, combining ingredients um, and learning, um, you know, obviously I didn't go to culinary school. Um, I'm not a professional chef in any way, but I did learn basic ingredient combining, especially as it came to baking through trial and error, through um, making other people's recipes. I love Ina Garden, you know, so many, you know, other of these other um, famous chefs that like you know, I think do things so well that you can find inspiration from. And now this is like the weirdest thing, but I kind of come up with my ideas while I'm sleeping. It's really silly. I sleep with a notepad by my bed that like, I'll kind of like, you know, what haven't I done in a while or what can I make that, you know, is something that I love that, you know, I can, I can make more nutritious or not, or make it the real deal. The, you know, the way it's, it's, you know, God intended it to be. So I, you know, I'll kind of come up with something in the middle of the night, I'll just write something down. And then the morning, that's kind of like the inspiration that like, you know, will be something that I might want to test and play around with. So I do um, recipe testing two days a week now. Whereas before, you know, when I had started my account, I was in the kitchen every single day. So five days a week, uh, more than that, even on the weekends, um, making things all the time. And then I got burned out. And so I learned to be more efficient. I don't photograph everything the same day. I often spend days where I'm, um, only doing recipes and no photography to perfect the recipes first. And then because the other part of my business is also is lifestyle and wellness content, then I have another day of, of the week where I'm out shooting lifestyle stuff or brand partnerships and whatnot. And now the other two days are spent, you know, working on the book and I'm trying to give myself like more balance. I mean, if it was up to me and as you know, it's, it feels like a 24 hours, 24 hour a day, seven day a week job, unless you protect yourself and kind of create your own boundaries around it. So I've started um, taking most Sundays off where I'm just like, I'll post some, maybe I'll post something in the morning and I don't want to go on anymore. It's um, my day. 
to be fully focused on my boys and the family. And, and the reality is I can still be doing a way better job at it. I'm not perfect. I'm not in anywhere near the point of um, having a really good balance that I'm proud of and can share with you because I, I'm not there yet. It's kind of evolving. I think that a lot of people will be able to relate to that just because it's hard, especially if you work. I mean, it's hard regardless, especially if you work for yourself. I love that you have structure, though, because I'm still trying to figure out, like, what that looks like after having a baby. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially, you know, before the pandemic and all of that, when I was pregnant, like, I tried a co-working space and I was like, okay, maybe this will work. But now it's like with Nora and COVID, like, getting out of the house. I know. It, I mean, it's, it's, I use this um, thing. It's a hard book called the full focus planner, which I really like because of the way for the way it's structured and organized really helps me every night. I kind of plan for the next day and you can also plan for the week on it. I save my like digital calendars for like appointments and stuff, but really um, having something that's hard copy, that I can write in every day, but that makes sense. There's so many different planners out there, but you have to find one that makes sense for the way your brain works. This one really works well for me. And it's been the one of the only ways that I'm able to stay on track and do a million things that, you know, accomplish most things that I want to do. But yeah, I mean, and you know, as you know, being a mom now too, a lot of it requires so much flexibility, but at the same time, taking care of yourself too, and making sure that like, just because you're a mom, just because you're caring for somebody else and just because you're married and you have a husband and, and someone else to care for, that the number one person that needs to be cared for is still ourselves, right? We have to t- do all of the things that fill our own cup and whether that comes from work or whether that comes from you know, our hobbies, those are the things that are so important so that we can show up, right? And for me, that's, you know, my non-negotiable is my daily workout. When I wake up in the morning, my husband and I kind of have a, he takes care of morning routine with the boys and I pick up at the end of the day in terms of picking the kids up from school. We kind of like had to get to this, like, we can't do everything I need for my own mental well-being. I need my hour to work out. You know, I put that before everything so that I can be better. I think having something, maybe that's not exercise for everybody. Maybe that's meditation or maybe that's, you know, something else. I think that's great advice. I was going to also ask you, just given the nature of your job, like what is your favorite part of your day? Again, I feel like you have one of those jobs that a lot of people might aspire to or, or find really exciting. So I'm curious. Honestly, the the highlights of my day are when somebody will reach out to me, they'll send me an email or a message that says that they haven't been able to eat something for years because of, you know, they're allergic to something or they have all of these restrictions and they found my recipe and it's changed their life because now they can have that or that they've read my story on the blog or a certain post really connected with them and that they can relate and that they find hope through my story. To me, that outweighs everything in in the job. The the financial piece and the brand partnerships, those are what help support my family and pay my bills every month. And and those are fun too, because I really love creating content. Um, And especially when I'm given a task, like I have a certain product that I'm working with or whatnot, I can get creative in the kitchen making a recipe with it. So that's really fun. But the most rewarding part is the community. 
And the hardest part is you didn't ask, but I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> no, that was my next question. So you're reading my mind. <laughs> the part is the internet trolls. They always come and, you know, it's really tough. I think I have a tough exterior a lot of times and I am a strong person, but, but deep down, I also am very sensitive too. And even though we can't in life control what other people think about us, not everybody is going to like us. We don't vibe with everybody. I know that and it's okay. But I think there's a way that people come at you or come at me sometimes in in social media where if they don't agree with something they attack or they're mean and they pass judgment. And in, in my book, I feel like we can always have a difference of opinion about something. And I think that's great. That's the beauty of the world that we live in is that we can have different opinions and we can learn from each other by sharing those opinions. But why hurt each other? Why, why show hate? Why create fake accounts? Because they do hurt. And, you know, I I think that you don't realize, or, you know, sometimes people don't realize that there's people on the other side of that platform. Like I'm creating all of, all of this content. And then when I get hit with one of those zingers, it messes with me. It's so difficult because you'll get a hundred positive comments and then one like snarky or plain out plain mean one, at least for me. And then I feel like down about whatever it is that I shared. <laughs> it's like the majority, the overwhelming majority of people loved it. Totally. And it's yeah. always, and I think that's human need or how our minds work in general, where like our brains, like, we highlight the negative stuff first before, um, before the positive. And, um, I'm trying to be really mindful to focus more on like the 99% of people that, that are positive that come into my life and use that to help me stay motivated and keep going versus the 1%. But like you said, it is like, sometimes it's, you know, and, and I have a, you know, that personality where like, I try to like block and delete and block, but like, I feel like I have to have the last word. (laughs) (laughs) I have the same problem, the same affliction. (laughs) Uh, Well, at least I'm not alone. Well, I'm winding down, but my last question that I, that I tend to ask people who have left their jobs to kind of pursue their dreams, what advice do you give to someone who is in the same boat and whether or not the side project, you know, involves like, food or recipe creation, but just like has something that they really want to pursue, but like isn't sure how to do it. And I read a blog post that you did about this. So I know that you'll have a great answer, (laughs) but I'll I'll leave it to you. First and foremost is like, I think to acknowledge that making a change is scary, right? So that that like the fear is there, but the first step is always identifying what it is that you want to do. And like I mentioned before, is getting really good at what your your current job is, refining that skill set so it feels less scary when you're doing something on the side to build that other job of yours. Because you know and you're so confident that no matter what, no matter what happens with it, you have something that you can fall back on. So that should give you that hope and that encouragement to know that um, that, that you can do it. I also think, um, you know, saving money, that's a, you know, practical one that people always say it's, it's very true for me. You know, like I said, I tracked income from the side gig for at least six months before I felt safe enough to make that leap. So if somebody is thinking about transitioning and, and taking a leap, perhaps like test it out, maybe give yourself, um, 
some time to build that business on the side before you let go of whatever it is that you have that you have uh, going on now and do it nothing really like nothing ventured nothing gained it sounds so um, easy for me to say it's hard to put into practice but I can tell you from doing it that um, when you're finally in a career and pursuing something that you love it's a million times harder because it's your own baby or it's your own idea that you're pursuing, but it's a million times more rewarding and more fulfilling. So the work is work, but it doesn't feel as much like work because you're doing it for yourself. Thank you so much. I feel like there's so many nuggets of wisdom that you dropped. I'm excited to like go back and listen for myself. So I appreciate you. Okay. So this is the part where I ask you to plug yourself where people can find you. (laughs) All of that. All the good stuff. Um, I am on Instagram and my handle is at Kale Junkie. It's one word. And I'm also on TikTok where my content is much less curated, which I also really love because it's fun and it's just unfiltered, fun, goodness. And then my blog, kalejunkie.com. Perfect. And then we'll be looking out for your book, Spring 2022. (laughs) So exciting. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me again. It was a true honor to to speak with you and to be on your podcast. Oh, thank you. I never take it lightly that you're taking an hour out of your day to tune in to Ask Diana. So as always, thank you. I hope that you loved my chat with Nicole today. If you want to leave a rating or review for the podcast, I would love that. I'd be thrilled. It is such a small thing, but it helps me immensely. Next week, I'd love for you to join me. I'm talking to Jabeli Karazana, who is the economy reporter at the 19th News. And we talk about journalism, but it's just such a raw emotional conversation in ways that I wasn't expecting. And I really think that uh, you guys will find a lot of value there. So I'm looking forward to it. Have a good one.